This week on How to Succeed in Evil, a man who is, in his own words, bigger than you, faster than you, stronger than you, have lots of teeth and claws. He's a man who's changed me, who's taught me to see the world in new and disturbing ways. In the, in, in the Infected Trilogy... I've never, look, I've never looked at a pair of scissors. <laughs> I can't either. New York Times best-selling author and your future dark overlord and mine, Scott Sigler. Uh, favorite villain? Man, there's just so... That's... Scott was gracious enough to let me put him on the spot at DragonCon this year. We recorded it in his hotel room, so you'll hear some ambient noise. Just think of it as NPR for geeks. Wait, that may be redundant. Some men just want to watch the world burn. World burn. This is How to Succeed in Evil. You need people like me so you can point your fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Just want to watch the world burn. An ongoing exploration of what makes bad guys good. Oh, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And I'm Patrick E. McLean. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it didn't exist. The heroes are always great in a movie, but in movies it's always the villain. Make The movie is made or broken on the villain. You gotta have the opposition. You gotta have that dynamic, you know, Christopher Walken is a Bond guy, for example. All the Bond villains are the best stereotypes. Um, as far as a favorite villain, villain usually connotes that it's a person, a thinking person. Whereas my favorite foils are usually the monster, like the aliens, the predator, things like that. Is the predator a villain or is the predator a monster? The predator is like weather. Yeah. Um, and I think right. and I think this is an interesting point, and I was going to ask you about this, so I'll ask you about it now. Um, like in the first Alien movie, mm-hmm. what creates the horror for me, the most horror, is that it's not that there's an alien on the ship. The alien's just doing what the alien does. Mm-hmm. It's that while this thing is in the ship, everybody's arguing with each other. And you get to see that they're fighting with themselves while disaster is bearing down. Mm-hmm. Cape Fear works like that. Game of Thrones works like Game that. Thrones, is yeah. that. So in terms of bad guys, I guess, I mean, you're, you're a horror guy. Yeah. So what creates that, that fear? The, what creates the fear in a book is... You, you're, you're channeling all of that through your characters, so you're trying to dial into what your characters would react to. But almost inevitably, it's, in the style of books I write, it's loss of life. You fear that you're going to die or be horribly maimed or mutilated by this thing. So in a lot of my work, it's physical pain. It's not soap opera drama of uh, you're going to be ruined, we're going to take away all your oil wells and your fortune, etc., which is a different kind of fear. It's more... Um, fighting for survival is where it comes from. And for that fear to work, the weather, bad guy, the monster, etc., always has to be more powerful than our protagonist. Of course. Anything that you can easily beat, you're not afraid of. So that creates these, uh, these monster archetypes that are bigger than you, faster than you, stronger than you, have lots of teeth and claws, if you will, or other some kind of power or some supernatural power where you are, on paper, you should be helpless. On paper, you should be a 101 underdog against this creature. Mm-hmm. And then 
that creates its own natural fear. Just like if we, if you really had a monster coming after you, you would if you had a velociraptor coming after you, you'd turn around and run away because you had while no chance shitting to yourself. You, while shitting yourself, uh, and then that creates. From there, you work in the whole rocky underdog concept and finding a way that hopefully the reader didn't see coming to defeat this thing, mm-hmm. but yet makes a lot of sense. And the reader goes, "Oh, that makes perfect sense. I can see how they did that." That gives you that sense of accomplishment and resolution for your characters. And, but and the greater the opposition, the bigger the story. So. The greater the opposition, the bigger the story. But you, in the style that I guess was popularized by Aliens, which we were talking about earlier, it's uh, or the slasher movies usually have a group of characters and you establish the danger of the bad guy by the number of protagonists that gradually get whittled down one after another. In my books, they die more and more grisly, gruesome death as we get towards the end. Yes. So you don't know who's going to make it. That's where the fun of my style of writing comes from. It's an ensemble cast. You know if there's seven people, four, five, or six of them aren't going to make it to the end. So it becomes a fun guessing game for the reader. Which ones aren't going to make it? How are they going to go out? Yeah, because you have, you have real you have real jeopardy. Because if someone is attached to a certain character, they want to see them make it through. Yeah, and, and that, that's really kind of a problem with. Um, I mean, I love I love them and I hate them at the same time. But you have your sort of standard thriller mm. story, and yeah. you know, like the guy's going to win at the end. If you have multiple people, that that's a, a difficult one for me. The first I experienced that with was Robin Cook. I read, read a Robin cookbook. I'm like, that was great. I enjoyed that. Moved to the second book. Exact same four primary characters in it. And as soon as they got into trouble, like, at one point, they get, I think they get locked in a, a freezer with no handle. I'm like, you know they're going to get out. So for me, that took away some of the thunder. And then the uh, Douglas Press and Lincoln Child books were the same way. Agent Pendergrass, you know he's going to make it out. In the last series, I really tried... The last horror series I tried to read was um, Jim Butcher's series, mm-hmm. the Dresden series. And first book was awesome. I was like, this is yeah, spectacular. I love it. Then I'm reading the second book and I'm watching the main character get into some similar predicaments. And I was at the bookstore yesterday and I saw him on the cover of all the books. So I know he's going to make it out of book two and make it to book three. So that's a harder thing for me to consume when you know there's a built-in safety net for the main character that they're going to make it out. So I don't have a lot of stuff like that. Even in my uh, Infected trilogy, we have main characters, the whole series is built around, who didn't make it out of book two. So, uh, and that's a Stephen King a technique I picked up just from, why am I always on edge when I read Stephen King? It's because he'll kill anyone at any time. He'll kill the main character in the first two chapters of a book and then have flashbacks of that character. And every time somebody gets into danger... It's real have, danger. It's real danger. You have no idea if they're going to make it out or not. And that's why I found myself on the edge of my seat reading till 3 o'clock in the morning. There is a... Uh... There's another thing that, um, well, I'll go back to Alien. That the Alien is, it's, it's like saying a shark is a bad guy. Like, mm-hmm. a shark, like Jaws is, Jaws is the bad guy. The right. real bad guy in Jaws, Jaws is a bad guy. The real bad guy in Jaws is the town that wants to cover up this awful thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a moral question. It's Ibsen's uh, enemy, enemy of the people, but. Um, in Alien, like the alien's not doing anything an alien shouldn't do. It's not doing yeah. anything morally wrong. The bad guy is the company who sent the people out there to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those sort of universal themes for me, and I don't know if you, th- you think about that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily think it needs to be in there for um, entertainment purposes, but those are the things that from great horror stories and great horror bad guys that stick with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like... Um, uh, it's infected, right? Where the guy has to 
cut those things out of yeah. himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that thing stays with me mm -hmm. because making that kind of choice, like every time that I have a, you know, it's like uh, in a very stupid way, like you fall off a mountain bike, you get dirt in a cup. You, you have to scrub the dirt out or yeah. you have to go to the emergency room and scrub uh -huh. it out. Like it's a bad choice the whole way around. And then in, in the Infected Trilogy... I've never, look, I've never looked at a pair of scissors. <laughs> I can't either. Uh, but the larger bad guy in that book is supposed to be the main character's father. So Perry Dossie is our main character going oh, yeah, through this terrible thing. going through his head, right? But his father, he had an abusive father, and Perry's spent his life trying to break the cycle of violence so he doesn't perpetuate the same thing mm -hmm. to other people around him. And then that becomes... Con confusing to the reader and morally ambiguous because if it wasn't for his father beating him and making him so tough and hard as nails he would have succumbed to the very disease he that he's fighting strength, against. Yeah. Like everybody else in the book who is infected by this particular pathogen succumbs to it almost immediately but not our guy because our guy's you know tough as a coffin nail at this point thanks to his dad. So that plays in a little bit like the concept of the town which is we Characters and us were a result of all our past experiences. Mm -hmm. And if there's, if you're going to survive a particular thing in your life or overcome an obstacle, would you have overcome it without the past experience you have? You'll never know, but odds are those made you what you are. So if you can beat that thing, that's in thanks in part to the experiences you've had in the past. So taking something that's so easy, like the step, the the town's the bad guy because the town just wants to make money. The business guys, business guys are always the bad guys in these movies. They just want to make money. The Whalen yeah. Corporation, etc. Yeah, yeah. And take that, and then something they did actually contributes directly to the protagonist being able to fight for survival. Creates a lot of uh, inner turmoil in the reader, if you will. They're like, okay, wait, a minute, maybe he wasn't such a bad guy, and that's fun for me. Yeah, and, and part of this part of this investigation is we are we have so much story now. We have so much access, so much more access to story than any other people alive on the, in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. That, um, and we have so much more access to information that it becomes problematic to have bad guys because there's not a uh, there's not a person who commits an act in the world who I can't get information on or I can't look at their slant and go, well, you know, maybe from their point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but that's part that's part of the game now. Like um, uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service. Did you see that? Yes. Samuel Jackson's fantastic bad guy portrayal. But the plot in that is that in his mind he's doing genuine good. Of, and, yeah, of course the bad guy is the hero of his own story. The bad guy's the hero of his own story. But the bad guy that even ties into themes we have right now of overpopulation and uh, too much consumerism, and that's now the more successful in the. 40s and 50s, perhaps, it was that's just a straight up bad guy. That's a bad guy who wants to destroy the world. It's Nazis, etc. We don't need any more explanation. It's it's the yellow peril for all the politics. Yeah, fiction. it's yeah. so so simplistic. You have good, absolute good, and absolute bad. And now people just don't respond to that, I don't think, as much. You need something like Kingsman, the Secret Service, where although it's camp and it's super fun, you're still like, you can sort of see where Samuel Jackson is coming from. Yeah, or um, uh, uh, the Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil was great. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, Kingpin was. But Kingpin's genuinely coming at it from a position. He's trying to do good, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to do good, which is what heroes, that's Batman. It's the same thing as Batman. It's exactly the same. By any and, means necessary to get the job done, that's Kingpin. Right? And, and, he re and he realizes in the series, uh, I've, I've had a couple of conversations where they're like, okay, that's not the Kingpin from the comic books. And I'm like, fine, it's not. 
um, you know, which comic book, who wrote it, is it Millar, is it whatever, like, I, I can't go down that hall of mirrors. Mm-hmm. But um, he's the only character, it's his show, he's the only character as an arc in the first series, really goes through this transformative change and really figures out who he is. Like, he's right. genuinely the bad guy at the end. Yeah. Um, so the other half of this is, um, is evil schemes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big world-destroying evil scheme. What's your favorite, like, evil trick scheme... Or one of them? Uh, I like all the heist movies as far as evil schemes go because those are always presented in kind of a Robin Hoody type approach. Yes, we're going to steal $20 billion from this casino, but they have $40 billion. It's really, yeah. there's really There's really no harm here. And uh, the classic heist, whatever that, whatever those movies are, those are, because those are the Robin Hoody but victimless crimes mm-hmm. to some degree. So they're, it's easy to root for the bad guys and sometimes you have to think about that for a second when you watch Ocean's Eleven, either of the uh, the iterations of it. They're flat out bad guys. They're robbing. Yeah, and They're robbing an established business that makes money, using the law to make money. And here we are rooting for Brad Pitt and company who are just flat out criminals who are stealing. So those those type situations where there's not, it's it's more fun to root for those villains because they're not out to kill anybody or hurt anybody in order to get what they want. When you do that, that cranks the level of intensity up a bit. Well, uh, Soderbergh even expressly said, he says, I don't want anybody to use a gun who's yeah. in, my, in my cast. I want this to be interesting and I want it to be funny and I want it to be, you know, this lovely ensemble cast. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Heist uh, is, I, I think we... Uh, a couple of years ago we were both talking to John Moreau on a, a podcast okay. and I was like I haven't completely figured out exactly what I'm what I'm writing yet where I fit in the world I was talking about some anxiety of that mm-hmm. and uh, it's heist novels heist novels it, it's, yeah. it's crime like uh, How to Succeed in Evil they're all heists they all have a twist it's just the heist is a business heist mm-hmm. and then um, uh, I've written two and a half books in this series the next one that's coming out but it's um, have you read any uh, Richard Stark the Parker novels? No. I got one on my shelf, but I haven't read it yet. He's one of Stephen King's favorite authors. Okay. I'm going to tell you, as a guy who's written a lot of books, this guy plots exquisitely. Mm-hmm. You will love all of these. There are 25 of them. Wow. Three years ago. Um, the first one, it, w- it wasn't supposed to have a sequel, the one that they made into Payback and Point Break and you know whatever. They made a couple of different versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I cannot sing the praises of these books enough. Cool. Uh, and Westlake is just a master craftsman. I've learned so much about plotting from reading those. Mm-hmm. But uh, three years ago, uh, near that my son was born, and I didn't sleep a lot, and I read all of them, like back to back. All 25 of them, right yeah. around? Uh, oh, yeah, I God. mean, I read some other things okay. uh, and sprinkled in there, but effectively back to back. I mean, I read a lot of books, but um, they are just so, he's a bad guy, he's stealing things. And it, the, the whole thing, and I didn't, I tried to write a Parker, I didn't write a Parker, but it's good. It's a good like thriller. It's not like uh, satire. It's not like funny. But um, the whole idea with Parker is he's a bad guy, but the villains in the book are the unprofessional bad guys. So anybody who tries to is like sloppy or tries to um, double cross someone. Mm-hmm. So generally the setup is, and it's it's much more interesting. This is Parker sets up this job. Someone there's an unexpected twist and someone like either steals from him or it goes apart and then he has to revenge himself mm-hmm. on the guy and there's not a nice guy in the entire thing and they're just glorious hmm. so I'll check those out yeah by all means um, so heists yeah um, so I guess what would be your um, 
Is it the Robin Hood aspect that makes you you give no, protagonist justification? It's yeah. it's um I like the Pink Panther aspect of it. Those are some old school oh, yeah. heist movies that were just spectacular. It's people putting their wits up against the business establishment. And there's very few one percenters out there, and most of us are not, and there is always some level of envy and jealousy of the people who attain that level, either by their own doing or due to circumstances of birth and heredity, but to or to corruption or whatever. Like whatever. That. To steal from them, again, is kind of victimless, but it's always it's the reason puzzle-solving video games have become so popular over the past 20 years. Yeah. It's watching these guys. Here is the impenetrable castle. You cannot possibly defeat this series of defenses. And it's then you exactly, have to find a way around. perfect scene in Ocean's Eleven yeah. where the guy goes... So wait a minute. So uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Rob Reiner. Go. Is it Rob Reiner goes. So after we get down the shaft that we can't get down, we open the vault that can't be opened. They're just going to let us walk out. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. That's that's the that's the concept. So watching, it's fun to watch people figure out that puzzle of how to get how to crack the egg and how to get to the good stuff, and that's uh, that's its own set of drama. Well, this is impossible. Nobody can possibly crack this. Now we're going to spend twenty five minutes showing you how they're going to come at it from a different angle. Or like the Pink Panther, or even the Mission Impossible movies were huge on that too. Yeah. And in those movies, you know, Tom Cruise's character is the bad guy. He's stealing information from other people. The, the sovereign nations with a different set of laws and, or businesses or what have you, he's the bad guy coming in. It's for the greater good, but then again, you go yeah, back to that's what Kingpin was doing. Yeah, Kingpin thinks course. he was doing it for the greater good too. Most of the Bond villains think they're doing it for... Well, they're doing it for money, so that's that's totally different. But that's why I think the heist films are fun because you get to watch. But like, tell me, the British Empire was like the South oh. Sea, <laughs> the yeah. South Sea Company, and it wasn't doing opium wars are not about money. Like they're doing it for money too. Yes, every, it's just the difference. Almost everything always is about money, or it's about acquiring territory, which is about money and resources. Resources about money. So it it. All of these, the reason heist movies are popular and we root for the bad guys is those people have too much stuff and we would like to see someone take some of that stuff away from them. We would and like hopefully to have their stuff. We would like to have their stuff. So it's fantasy fulfillment. Yeah. You know, when you watch the end of any of the Oceans movies, except I think it's Oceans 13, where Julia Roberts gets away with something because she looks like Julia Roberts in the movie itself. Have you seen this one? Uh, it's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. As good as the first one is, it's so bad. But... They get away, and they have money, and usually there's some strings attached, but there's always that scene where they're luxuriating on the yacht, or they've got the car, or whatever, and they've, in the viewer's mind, they've earned that, they've gone out and earned that money, but it's still fun to see the uh, ill-gotten gains be enjoyed. Scott's latest book is Alive. In keeping with my rigorous standard of semi-professionalism, I forgot to ask him about it in the main body of the interview, so I'm just inserting it here. Whee! Alive is book one in the Generations trilogy, which is uh, it's a YA series for Del Rey, um, and a young girl who thinks she's 12 wakes up in a coffin by herself, doesn't know how, who she is or how she got there, and she fights her way out of this coffin to find herself in a room with 11 other coffins, which also contain kids like her. There's Six of them are alive, and six of them are dead. They're all dressed in school uniforms, so schoolgirls and schoolboys, and they all are absolutely perfect. It's like an Abercrombie pitch catalog coming to life. And it's a 
the whole novel is a revelation to the characters. Since they don't know what's going on, I drop the reader right in beside them. And then as they figure out why they're in this strange dungeon area and they go out and find out what the truth is, you're along with them for the ride. So it's become incredibly hard to describe the book because I can't Give I away. can't say blank meets blank because all of a sudden now I'm giving away huge parts of the plot. So I've decided that when I finish this trilogy, I will never again write anything where uh, I can't tell people what the book is about. Otherwise, it's a spoiler. Some very big reveals in the book that I think come across really well and the readers have really enjoyed. And uh, people should ch- should check it out. It's a super, The first book is a super fast read. A lot of people have knocked it out in like a day, which is a little disconcerting because it took me about five years to write it. <laughs>